How are we doing today? Are you ready for the rain to come? No, wow. Nice little shift in the weather, just to have a different feel. If you would take out your programs, uh, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. First of all, after further review, would you do us a major favor and uh, fill this out for us? Even if you did it last week, we discarded those because they really weren't clear. And, um, and this way we can get your fingerprints all over it. And uh, no. Um, but would you do it this way? If, if there's a male, um, you know, a male adult or teen in there, how many? Or a female in the age? And then down at the bottom, put your number of children. If it's like a male 10-year-old, F, uh, 8-year-old, something like that. And again, we're doing this. We just want to uh, establish the demographic of our church. We're going to do this for the next couple of weeks. Don't fill it out again next week or the week after if you do it today. Uh, on any given Sunday, probably 25 to 33 percent of our people are gone. So we're going to continue to do this. I think we have the system in place. So um, just if you do it this week, please don't do it the next two weeks. Okay? Uh, also, if you're a guest today, we want to welcome you. Thanks for coming and joining with us. Uh, on your uh, program as a connection slip. Love to have you fill that out. Place it in the basket. Uh, for those of us, anybody here, if you have a prayer request, uh, also fill one of those out, put it in the basket, let us know of your prayer request. And um, we have a class after this service for baptism. If you want to find out, get more information on baptism, we encourage you to go to that today. We'll be having a baptism uh, in just a few weeks. And so we... Uh, it's what the Lord said to do is to, he said, go therefore and be baptized. And uh, we see this as an important next step in your journey of faith once you decide to follow Jesus. So it's a public declaration of an inward happening of what Jesus Christ is doing in your heart and life. And uh, it's just a wonderful time and we encourage you to be a part of that. And then we have Cruising the Creek. It's our car show. It's coming back after a few year hiatus. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yahoo! So it is coming back. If you have a car you want to show, thought about bringing my Honda, but they said, nope. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll make a donation. Nope. Just make the donation. But if you've got a car and uh, you want to put it on there, you can go online and do it. Uh, every donation, it's not a set price, but we're encouraging people to make a donation so that uh, we're uh, supporting Passion for the Streets. It's a ministry uh, by one of our Creekside ladies, Yvonne Cameron, and uh, we want to support her in what God's doing in her life and in that ministry, which is really to help homeless students uh, in the Mount Diablo School District get off the streets. And uh, she just says, God birthed this in her, and so we want to be a support to that. I'm going to, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and, and we do, Lord. We, we, we sang it out today. But Lord, let our love be loud for you. Let our service for you be loud. Lord, let our lives for you, not obnoxious, but Lord, they just, they exude and they communicate, Lord, our love for you because we're so loved. And as we come to the scriptures this morning, we're reminded of that even as David the psalmist wrote that your thoughts for us are so grand and so great. 
So bless our time this morning. Speak to us, challenge us, encourage us. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. If you would turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you want to be encouraged, then just listen. I don't know that there's probably, there's hardly a more encouraging verse in Scripture or passage. Uh, But we're going to kind of use it as our launching pad because it speaks of the depth of God's incredible design for our lives. So this is David. This is a song that he would have sung this. We're going to read it as a psalm, but that's what psalm means. It's a song. So David would have put this to music. Verse 13 of Psalm 139. You can imagine that there's almost this crescendo that David is feeling as he begins to probably pen these words and then sing them. You, for God, you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame, who I am, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. It is there I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we see this incredible sovereignty of God that is eternal and sees before, during, and after. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake... I am still with you. Imagine that God thinks of you, his thoughts of you, his thoughts of me. Because he's this eternal, he's God, without limits, without boundaries. He says, you know what? His thoughts of you and me are even more than the grains of sand. It's an incredible thought. How many of you have a GPS in your car? Yeah. Do you use it? How many of you have a GPS on your phone? Yeah, I, yeah I, that's the one I usually use. It's a lot easier. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was this GPS where God said, this is my will. We say, okay, it's uh, September 30th. What do I do? He doesn't quite operate that way, but he does give us somewhat of a GPS with his scripture that gives us idea and understanding and direction and perspective on what we do. And I want to see this as kind of a, a GPS Uh, use it for a framework for kind of mapping the techniques for finding what God has for us and what he wants us to be and to do today and the next couple of weeks. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And isn't that exactly what David said in his psalm? That before I was born, you knew my days. You knew the things that you had for me. Now that word masterpiece, some of your translations will say workmanship. It's the word in the original language, poema, which simply we get our word poem from it. We've talked about this uh, on a few different occasions that we get our word poem poem from it. When you have a poem, when someone sits down and writes a poem, 
Some of you are maybe poets or like poetry. What does that mean? What do you do when you do that? When you're done, you go, wow, here's a creative poem by me. Here's a masterpiece that I created. And then you want to show it to people or maybe you just keep it in your diary or your journal. What he's trying to say is, is you are God's workmanship. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's desire. You are God's opus. You're his work of art. And then David goes on, I mean, and, and then Paul goes on to say, but here's the deal. He's created you a work of art to be used to do the good things that he's planned for every one of us in this room long ago. See, when we're getting directions from our GPS, the first thing you enter is your current location. Where am I? So you always start with where we are. And as we're talking about Team Creekside, who are you as a person? That's where we want to start. How has God hardwired you? How has he put you together? How has he put us together? Because it says we begin to understand the design of our lives by the design, divine designer, that things begin to come together and we begin to understand who we are, how we're put together, and then things make sense of what we can do, the good works to begin to serve him. We're going to use this acrostic design because we're going to talk about the desires, the experiences, the spiritual gifts, the individual style, the growth phase, and our natural abilities today. Because the big idea for today is simply this, that these are all expressions of who you are, how God has hardwired you. And when you begin to understand some of the unique aspects and components of your personal design, then you'll be able to go, oh, makes sense. Maybe these are some of the ways that I can serve God and his people. So just follow along if you would, and we're going to talk about these things. The first one is desire. This has to do with your passions, those things that quicken your pulse. What do you want to do? What do you love to do? If you could do anything for God, what would it be that really interests you, fascinates you? What do you really care about in your life? That's what we're talking about when we talk about passions and, and your personal desires because God's always going to use those. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, now some people think, okay, God, give me the desires of my heart. Man, I desire a new Benz. And they think, oh, that's my desire, that's good. No, that's not what he's talking about. Now, there's probably some faith teachers that would tell you about that. But here's what the idea is. When it says delight yourself, it means to find your satisfaction in God as opposed to the things that people in this world find their satisfaction in. That just simply as you delight yourself in God, you become satisfied in who he is and what he's done for you. And it's at those points that he begins to deposit, give you right desires in your heart that you begin to pursue. When I was a teenager and I made this commitment to Jesus Christ, he started, and I didn't know this at the time, but he started to, it's like a scroll, it began to unfold for me. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to I wanted to teach high school, and then I wanted to coach basketball in high school and hopefully work my way up to college, be a college basketball coach. But I, I loved the idea of doing high school. So I said, that's where I'm going to start. 
Well, it's interesting because I started doing that in a community college, and I've told you this story a number of times about getting called, and, or not getting called, but getting encouraged by uh, one of my friends to go play basketball with him at, at, at New Hope College. And so I got a scholarship there, a small scholarship, and we went there. We were roommates. And after my first year, I really didn't know if I was going to go back. My goal was one year, get credits, play basketball, travel. Well, after the first year I got invited, they asked me, would you do the recreation for high schoolers at a camp? So I did uh, three camps for three weeks. And it was during that time that God begins to unroll the scroll and he begins to shift the actual desires that I already had that I believe he put in me as a little boy. That I wanted to help students. I wanted to help teenagers, and I wanted to do it in the teaching and the athletic arena. But all of a sudden, after my freshman year, and I'm working camps, and I begin to have these experiences with students where I just kind of was able to help them and minister to them without any experience, I said, you know what, maybe God's got something else for me. So I went back to Bible college for my second year. See, that's how your desires can begin to unfold. They probably start with what is intrinsically natural to you, and then they move to those desires, they move out, and then God begins to go, I want to steer these desires in you because I've placed them in you for who you are. Because sometimes don't we get this kind of, you know, super spiritual idea of calling, and I don't want to say that, you know, that there's a lot of people who talk about this great calling of God, and they have it. My calling, if we call it that, was just like a scroll that unrolled through the steps that I took and the desires that I believe God placed in my heart. And hear me, loved ones, I believe every one of you have those. Jesus said the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And when he does that, your desires begin to become more clear and you can trust them. If I know of somebody that says, I love God with all my heart and and you can see it in their life and they come up and they want to do something, I say, do you believe this is what God wants you to do? Is it who you are? They go, yeah. I've seen two young men, uh, now they're middle-aged, but in my early years here, and I've told the stories of them, but I've seen two young men who just followed, who committed their life to Christ, and they begin to follow the desires of their heart and literally became millionaires, one of them a multimillionaire because of businesses that he started. It's because God hardwired him that way, and then he began to find his delight and satisfaction in God, and God began to lead him and to guide him in this area. Philippians 2.13 says... For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. God is already working in you and giving you the desire to do what he wants you to do, loved ones. Doesn't it make sense that if God gave you the desire to do something, he'd give you the skill set and the abilities to? See, your passions and your desires are pretty easy to recognize because you enjoy and you love doing them. They energize you. You get into it. People look at you and they go, how come you don't do what I'm doing? Because it's such a passion for them. We have a guy who comes to first service. His name is Scott McConnell. Some of you know him. Some of you know him as one of our children's workers. If you spend any time around him on Sunday morning, he will try and drag you into the children's program. 
You know why? Because that's his passion. That's his desire. I see him on Sunday. Scotty, how you doing? Oh, pastor, I'm just so glad you let me serve over here. I go, let you? (laughs) Thank you that that's your heart. See, we have other people in our church, and I could name a lot, but a couple of examples are we have Yvonne Cameron, who just out, out of, I don't know, I can't remember the genesis of where it sprung from, but all of a sudden she comes and talks to me. And she says, Pastor, I got this desire. I want to help homeless people. And then begin to get a little bit more narrow cast to help homeless students who are still in school. And that's what her passion for the streets, one of the focal points of it, is to help Mount Diablo school students and probably any other students that are homeless. We have Dave Brown who... He just has this passion to serve. And what does he do? Uh, He picks up people and he brings them to church. He picks up guys and he brings it to our Friday morning group. He was in the VA hospital here in town. Uh, He's still there. He's there for a number of weeks. He's in and out now, but he still has to be there for treatment. And, uh, And he told me a few weeks ago that I'm around these guys and these gals And some of them are just so hopeless, and they just need something. And now he wants to start a ministry to them. Why is that? It's because that's his desire. That's his passion. First of all, because he loves people and wants to serve them. Secondly, it's it's distilled and kind of works out of him being a former vet. We have Margaret uh, Dassau and Adele King, who they have this prayer time on Sunday mornings where they invite people to come and to pray for our services and to pray for Creekside. Why is that? Because it's a desire. It's a passion. What what are your passions? How can they be used by God because he's put them in your heart? Because a lot of times we don't think. We really don't think that some of those passions can be used by God. I have been, uh, I mean, I've just loved sports all my life. I didn't think basketball could ever be a passion that could have been used for ministry. But it was. When I was a youth pastor, I coached, coached basketball for three years at Lodi High School, and that's how we brought in some students to our youth ministry. And sometimes we just forget that those things that we love and we're passionate about, we can use those with other students. Some of us are, man, we just love video games. Well, what if you use that maybe to reach out to youth? I mean, fill in the blank. But look at your passion. Look at your desire, those things that you like to do. How could God use those? Second thing is our experiences. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for those who love Christ and are called according to his purposes. If you follow him, made the decision to follow him, then you are called to live according to his purposes because he's established them within you. Now, God uses all the experiences of our lives to make you who you are. You experience, your experiences are part of the narrative of your life. And it's a big part of what God wants to do with you. And he wants to use those within you for others. There's all kinds of experiences that God uses, right? We've got our family and relational experiences. We have our educational and our vocational experiences. We have our spiritual experiences. And of course, we have our painful experiences. And sometimes we forget that God never wastes a hurt. 
We have our life experiences. We have our successes that we can use. But God uses all of these to shape and to teach us. And for many, it's going to come from those difficult times that we've experienced. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others. How many of you have had bad experiences in your life? Maybe you grew up in a difficult home. Maybe you had difficult uh, circumstances and situations with your kids. Maybe you had to adopt. Maybe, I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, just take any situation and circumstance in your life. That could be something that God says, I want to use that discomfort to comfort others with. You look at anybody that takes up a cause. Not everybody, but many people that take up a cause, it's because it was caused on them. Somebody that's abused, experienced severe or significant abuse, what do they do? They become an advocate for the abused. What is it that your experiences have been in your life? What has taken place in your life that you can say, I can leverage this for God? Spiritual gifts. On the top of your, in, in, on, the, on the line there, you'll see there's, a, there's three passages. I forgot one. There's 1 Peter chapter 4. These are all passages that are noted in the New Testament, and they outline the spiritual gifts that we can receive as Christ followers. Now, there's probably anywhere from 23 to 27. It depends who you read and how they break them up. But there's probably about 25 spiritual gifts that when you become a Christ follower, you make a decision to follow Jesus, you can receive those. One, two, five, whatever. But everybody gets a gift. Now, outside in the courtyard, there's a booklet. It's called 301. Uh, If anybody wants to pick one up, they're free. We put them together. It's part of our 301 class. In them, we have some tests or... um, evaluation points that you can take and read through it. We have a spiritual gifts test. It's a it's 100 questions that you can uh, check off and you track them and then you add up your score and you come up with your top uh, four or five spiritual gifts. We encourage you to do that. There's also a process in there where you can work through it and find out, kind of get an idea of different passions that you have. If you want one of those, pick it up on your way out today and begin to work through it this week as it will really help you kind of understand more fully and even to evaluate for your life what I'm talking about today. And if we run out, sign up, let us know. We'll make more and have more there next week. But they're very helpful. So what are spiritual gifts? These are things that are God-given. They're empowered abilities for serving God and others. So who has spiritual gifts? God gives every follower of Jesus one or more spiritual gifts to equip you for his work. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of gifts of the Spirit is given for the common good. So he says to each one. For what? For the common good. It's for everybody to experience something from it. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, Now all of these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. All of these gifts come from the heart and the Spirit of God, and He gives them to each one as He determines. Now, sorry. Some of us go, oh man, I'd love to be a worship leader. And we can't strum a lick and we can't sing a note on key. That's probably not going to be your spiritual gift. 
It says he determines what they're going to be. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, but to each one of you, a gift has been given as Christ has apportioned it. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So what do we see? First of all, everyone has one or more spiritual gifts. No one is left out. No one is insignificant. No one is unimportant. And no one doesn't have a place. There are gifts that are ongoing. And sometimes they're just for the moment. What do you mean? Well, a lot of people, there's people that can have a gift of faith that is ongoing. There's people that have a gift of teaching, a gift of serving that, I mean, everywhere they go, it's just ongoing and it takes place. But there are certain gifts that are really for the moment. Now, this may theologically bother some of you, but I always struggle with faith healers and the ones that have the crusades that are just for, quote, faith healing. Okay, why is that? Well, I don't want to, I'm not putting them down. If, I'm not saying don't go if you want to go. If I was really sick, I might go. But here's the deal. Healing is a gift that can be placed in any one of our lives at any time. If, 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 if there was like a faith healer that just every time he prayed for somebody, they were healed, what would I do? I would hire them. And I would say, today, go to Mount Diablo Hospital. Tomorrow, go to John Muir. The next day, go to Kaiser. But, we don't, but, but, but the, the gift of healing doesn't operate that way. It operates in a moment, in a time. And God could give it to anybody in this room. That's why we always want to pray for people. Because we don't know when something can happen. When God could say, I'm going to honor the faith of this moment. Because you're praying. It was uh, when I was in, the, in, in Bible college, Trina had to go in for a surgery. And I did the husband lead, the Bible college thing. And I went in, and, 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 I, and this is embarrassing, but I wasn't like praying with great faith. Oh, God, just bring, call down healing and health to my, you know. I didn't do that. I just said, you know, honey, it's, you're going in for surgery. Let me just pray for you. So I just prayed for her. And she went in, and I get a call. Uh, by the way, your wife doesn't need surgery. We went in and found out that everything was good. I don't know that it was even my prayer, but I did pray. Someone come up to me last service. We'd been praying for her mama for a few weeks because she'd been diagnosed with cancer. She had spots on her spinal cord. She just came up to me after last service, and she said, I just want you to know that they went in the other day. The doctor went to check her out, and they can't find the spots anymore because people, we've been praying. Can I just tell you, I believe in that. I mean, I just, I 100% believe in it, but I don't know whose prayers or what brought it about. But I trust it. And so when you, when you, when you see these spiritual gifts, some of them like that, you, you don't, you're not a faith healer. You just get to heal because of faith when God gives you the opportunity. So don't go around and say, I'm a faith healer, unless you can heal everybody. But see, that's how the gifts work. Sometimes they're ongoing and consistent. Sometimes they just happen in the moment because you believe. Romans 12 talks about seven gifts. Let's just do a quick poll. Let's see if any of these apply to you. Okay? One of the gifts is the gift of prophecy, which is basically speaking for God. You speak truth. 
He gives you the right thing to say in truth at the right time to people's lives. It could be in a public setting. It could be privately just when you meet people. Who believe they have the gift of prophecy based on what you've seen in your life? Anybody? Okay, yeah, there's a few of us. Good, good. How many believe you have the gift of serving? It just kind of, you love it, you do it, it quickens your pulse. You raise your hand. Yeah, everyone that I see, I go, yeah, yeah, they love to serve. How about teaching? How many have the gift of teaching? That You know, you can just teach people and they kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, good, good. How about the gift of encouragement? I mean, you walk into, the, into a room of 20 light, 25 watt bulb people and you're like a 75. And, pe- and, and you just make people, you know, you bless them, yeah. I love being around Tony, yeah. Okay? That's a, that's a gift of encouragement. And you can have that all the time everywhere you go. Who has the gift of giving? Come on, raise them up. Yeah, let me see you. I want to meet you afterwards. And um, <laughs> good, good, yeah. And, and some of these people, I know you have the gift of giving, gift of leadership. You lead people, they follow. How many have that? Okay. Well, I guess I'm in the right place. You're, I, th- I think some of you have a gift that you don't necessarily recognize it. How about the gift of mercy? I mean, you just go in and you can just empathize with anybody and kind of make them feel good and bless them and encourage them. Who has that gift? Hope we have a few. Yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah, good. See, those are all important. Many people in this room have spiritual gifts. What is wrong with the rest of you? (laughs) I know, I know. It's like, hey, you're just doing the introduction, man. I don't know what I'm doing. We'll talk about that. Because how can I discover my gifts? Because a lot of you didn't raise your hand. And you go, I don't know. Is Is that, do I have that gift? Hear me. You know what? Spiritual gifts are supernaturally natural. Here's what's happened in the church. We have people on TV and we have people that walk around. It's kind of like they've got this gone to glory look. Oh, Jesus, you know, and call down heaven and we're praying over them and we got this. And, or if we're a leader, you know, we kind of, you know. And it, 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 you know, a lot of Christian people make the gifts really weird. Here's, here, here's what you don't understand. Just tell me, I'm just say amen if you believe what I just said. Unless, unless you're laughing at me, that's all right. But here's my, here's my take on these gifts. Because so many of them, we made them just for the church. They're important to operate in the church. But we've got to do them in a way that we can operate them if we're in the middle of an aisle of a grocery store. And when I'm in the middle of an aisle of a grocery store and I want to pray with somebody, I'm not going to go, God in heaven, come down and heal this part. You know, you, 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 it's, it's normal and it's natural, but some of you may go, I ain't got no gift, man, because that's weird, you know? But they're natural. Here's what you do. You want to you discover your gift? Here's the short answer. Practice. A lot of you didn't raise your hand, I don't think. Maybe you got the gift of encouragement because you know how to say things to people to build them up. 
but you don't even know that it's a gift because you really don't practice it enough. You don't step out and go. I think the Lord wants me to speak to that person just to build them up. Oh, that's just me. No, that's the Lord speaking to you. And so the more you practice it, guess what? The more you get to do it. Secondly, take an inventory. There's the assessments that I talked about in our 301 booklet where you can begin to look at that and you can go through them. It's not the answer to everything, but it can help you begin to identify them. And when you answer the questions and do the exercises, don't do them on the basis of how you want to be or how you want to see yourself, but how you see yourself now so you can get a true reading. That's the best way to discover your guess is, is take an inventory. And then secondly, um, evaluate your experiences. What have you been good at? Where have you been effective? What do you like? What do people come up to you and go, wow, man, when you lead that group, it's just, it's just clear. I understand more about what you were talking about. I tried leading worship because they asked me to. Not because I wanted to, they asked me to, but I thought, wow, worship leaders are pretty cool. I tried to do it in Bible college with all my peers, and I was awful. No, I mean, I was awful. I was off key. I didn't start in the right tempo. I got more nervous, and I just blew it. They didn't ask me again. <laughs> well, then I become a youth pastor, and every youth pastor has to be able to sing a little bit and strum a guitar, so I taught myself to do that, and it was all right but I would never do it for you. <laughs> it's not my gift, but sometimes we got to do what we maybe don't even want to do. But ask for feedback. My feedback at Bible college was, we're not asking you again, you know? And, and, but, 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 but ask people. I mean, sometimes we're self-aware enough. I knew halfway through, bomb, you know? And, and, but, but, but sometimes we need to ask people, what did you think? I've got friends, they preach sermons that were not very good. And I said, hey, how'd it go? Oh, did you see the crowd? They were listening. They were loving it. Some people don't have a lot of self-awareness. So sometimes we have to ask. Uh, experiment, try new things. I wouldn't have known that I could reach young people years ago if I hadn't gone and just said, yeah, I'll do the recreation and I'll stick around after services to minister to students. That is the thing that God began to be the scroll that unrolled for me to say, go back to Bible college. Let's see what we can do. Discover your spiritual gifts, loved ones, and then begin to use them. The I is individual style. No, no, no two people are identical. You are different physically, and each one of us, you know this, you have a different thumbprint. God has uniquely made you so that the reason they use your prints is because you're the only one that has them that way. And our individual style is the same way. It's our unique personality. There are some similarities across the board, but yet every one of us is uniquely made by God. Someone said this, I was that they were watching Jerry Springer, and they said, man, I saw this guy on there. He had a, they showed him he had 29 personalities. And the guy said, that's amazing because I work with people that don't even have one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's, and sometimes we think that, I don't have much of a person. You do. Every one of us has a personality. It's just unique and different. And your, you, and your personality has this unique combination of different traits that works out in different ways. And sometimes we 
think that everybody should be like us because that is the normal. And and it'd be interesting to find out when every one of us come to the realization that that is not the way. Let's take a poll and kind of go through this. These are not good or bad, right or wrong, but they're truisms that most of us will be able to probably laugh at and understand. There's an introvert, and then there's the extrovert, and of course, everybody in between. But this, you know, sometimes we think that, oh, an introvert doesn't like people. That's not true. My wife isn't, it used to be, well, she's still, she says she still is, and she's a little bit less than, but she's an introvert. She loves people. And she can be around them, but then there comes a time when this is what introverted people have to do. They can be around, <laughs> smile, talk, be nice, but then there comes a time when they've got to get away from the crowd, get away from the people, because that, 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 that drains them. And you know how they get energized, an introvert? You know. You get alone. You get to quiet. TV program. A book. But then us extroverts, we're energized and we're replenished by being with people. We love it. The longer we're around, the more we talk, the more we can go. Now think of this, because this probably is true in this room. You marry an introvert and an extrovert, and what happens? The introvert gets home first. And they walk in, and what do they do? They're either in their pajamas or their night robe. And the extrovert walks in and they're home and they got their dancing shoes on. And then you got a little bit of a crossfire. What are we going to do tonight? And so in a marriage, when you have two people like that, you got to really be able to figure out, find your rhythm and how you're going to do that. Let's do a poll. How many in here would say, I am an introvert? Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of you. How, How many are extroverts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a recovering extrovert back there. I, one of my beautiful good friends, Dorsey. See, that's the difference. She's energized. But see, when it comes to the using your gifts, you want to find something that's going to tie into that. How about this one? Thinking versus intuitive. Do you tend to make decisions by carefully gathering facts and weighing the the evidence and making a logical decision? Or do you kind of make decisions by feeling and intuition and you just sense what is right or best when you're in a given situation? I mean, we even use language like that, like, oh, I feel this is the right or I feel best about or I think we need to do this. Again, neither one of these are right or wrong, but they always have to have some balance to them. But most of us lean into one of these. Who's the logical thinking? Lay it out. Make sure that it's going to work. How many we got in here? Okay. How, how, uh, how many are the other way? You go, hey, man, let's just go. Let's, let's, let's fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah, okay, good, good. Where are the rest of you? Yeah, we just don't care. (laughs) We don't do anything, man. But it's important to find that out because those can become issues. And and when you're you're doing a ministry, 
There's some things that you've got to really be precise on. There's some things you can just go, yeah, man, that's what I feel. Let it go, man. How about this one? Uh, routine or variety. Some of you work best in highly structured environments. They've got predictable routines. And you can be highly productive when you know what to expect. Others, you would go, that would drive me crazy. Boredom. You need every day to have a little bit of challenge, a little bit of excitement. When you walk into your job, you go, I hope I don't know what's going on today. Bring it on. I want to just face life. So how many of you would be more routine? Give it to me day in and day out. How many love variety? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah, that's an entrepreneurial spirit. You just go for it. Okay, how about call, uh, controlled versus expressive? Some people are very open about what they think and how they feel, and they wear their feelings on their sleeves. People seldom wonder what they're thinking or how they're feeling. This is me. I'm just, I'm out there. I was telling someone yesterday, I says, I got to be really careful on Sundays because I got to stay on script because I manuscript my stuff. And if I get off track, that's when I say really stupid, bad, ugly <laughs> things. And it usually gets me emails or somebody coming after me. But you know how I feel and think, right? And then there's the, the, the controlled. We even have a phrase for it. Boy, that person, boy, they really play their cards close to the vest. They don't want anybody to see it. They don't want anybody to know what they're thinking or feeling. It's, that's just who they are. How many of you are really controlled people? You say, yeah, I'm, I, I don't want anyone to know. How many of you are very expressive? Yeah, yeah. See, sometimes that's, that's difficult. Well, even in this kind of a ministry, um, it's probably not always really good to have an expressive person up here. <laughs> A little bit more controlled, you know, a little bit more play it close to the vest. But even in ministry, it's the same thing, wherever you go. Find what works for you. How about cooperative versus competitive? Uh, my wife used to be the most cooperative person in the world. We have now been married for 40 years. And after about the 20, 25-year mark, there, I saw this really incredible shift in her because I am highly, highly, highly competitive. And there came a point where she would no longer care if she won in Monopoly. When I could breathe and we were running together, her goal was always to beat me. Now that I can't breathe, she beats me all the time and I'm trying to catch her. I let her. And um, <laughs> it's not true, she's really good, really good. Um, we're playing golf now, we play golf together. I, oh, I shouldn't say this, she's here, but, <laughs> but, but now she's, <laughs> I want to beat you. I want to hit the ball like you do, and I, this is what I say, well, honey, it ain't going to happen, um, <laughs> and, unless you take lessons, unless you take lessons, but now she is gone. We could kind of change. She's gone from being very cooperative and, oh, whatever, score doesn't matter, don't be so upset. To now she's very competitive. Me, I just want to beat your brains out any time we do something. <laughs> and that's the truth. The difference is at 60, then 20, I'm much nicer, much nicer. How many of you would say that you're just cooperative? You know, who cares who wins? Why keep a score? Yeah, that's for losers. Um, 
No, I'm just kidding. Just see what I mean? That's not in my notes. That was only a joke. How many are competitive? Let me win. Yeah, okay, that's my kind of people. Hear me. I don't know if I said this, but these aren't right or wrong, good or bad. You just got to know, see, how did God design me? Because he has purpose. How about relational versus task? Task-oriented people, they want to focus more on the job at hand. They don't care about relationships that much. They just say, we got a job to do. Let's get it done. But now a relational person will come in and say, okay, let's get this job done. Let's do it the best we can. Here's the deal. You're going to do this. You're going to do it. Is everybody happy? Oh, by the way, before we start, you know, let's pray and let's, you know, let's say something good about everybody. And the, you know what that does to the task person, don't you? They're going, oh my gosh, let me just, we just got to get this thing done. How many are relationally based when it comes to that? Yeah, I am too, kind of. How many are task oriented? Wow, whoa, that's good, that's good. Now, I got to remember this when we do something. Spontaneous versus planning. How many of you would say that your idea of a great dream vacation is to go somewhere, let it happen? Spontaneity, the unplanned, the unexpected. Ah, unplanned, that's my dream. Or you say, no, 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 no. That's like a four-alarm nightmare to me. I want to know when we're getting up, where we're going, where we're eating every day. How many of you are spontaneous? How many of you are planning? How many of you are married to somebody that is the opposite and it drives you crazy? No, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Well, at least you're both doing it. There we go. See, that's true in marriage, but it's also true in church life and in serving that you've got to find things that fit your design. Each one of you, loved ones, has a complex combination of all of these different traits plus hundreds more. Your combination is unique. Your thumbprint is unique of who you are. But hear me, God wants to use it. God made you to do something and to be something and to use your gifts, your your personality, your desires. Do this real quick. Take on your notes. Take out a pen or something to write with. Write your name just at the top, full name, uh, first and last. Just write it. Real neat, real nice. Now switch hands. Write write your name again with your opposite hand underneath the original one. And hurry. (laughs) We don't have all day here. See, what was that like? (laughs) Excuse me, I'll wait. (laughs) Yeah, I listen, I'm watching you. It's like, you know, it's, uh. it's not natural, is it? It's not easy. It takes extra time. It takes extra effort. And it still doesn't look good. You do a lousy job with it. See, that's how ministry, that's how life can be. When you're not finding God's fit, when you're not finding your desire and you're using those kinds of things that God has imprinted upon your life. 
It gets hard. You know what I love about Creekside? One of the things I love about Creekside is when guests come here, they always say a couple of things. One of the things they always say, the people are, are genuinely friendly. Don't lose that as a church. I had 101 yesterday. Oh, the people are nice. People seem real. People are just welcoming. Here's the second thing I often hear. I can't believe all the people you have serving, and you know what? They act like they really enjoy it. <laughs> and I go, well, hear me. I don't think it's an act for most of them. I think they really enjoy it. That's because a lot of you have found your niche. And when you really begin to understand how God has hardwired you, you can find things that you'll enjoy doing, and there won't be any acting. It won't be any, oh, I got to do this to punch, you know, to punch my spiritual time card. Got to do this to please the Almighty. No, you'll do it because you go, man, I know what Jesus has done for me, and I know more what he's put inside of me, and it begins to jump out. It begins to bleed out in your serving or what you do. But when you ignore your design and the way God has made you, it feels hard. It's uncomfortable. Find what God has for you. There's a growth phase. Basically, I just quickly say this about the growth phase. First Peter 2 talks about the maturity of a disciple, that we would move from being a, a baby to a child to a toddler to an adolescent to a teenager to an adult. And all of us in this room are at different points. Do you want to grow and go to the next step of your spiritual journey? Or maybe you haven't even decided to follow Jesus yet. But if you want to grow and move forward, one of the best things you can do is, number one, begin to find a place to serve. Because when you serve others, you are no longer the centerpiece. You are now saying, I'm going to give my time, my talent, my energy, my treasures. I'm going to give, do that to serve you. And that will begin to mature you as quick as anything, loved ones. I promise. Now, hear me. Caveat. I understand there's some in this room that you are busy. You got 10 kids. You're going to school. You're a single parent. Whatever it is, that we, we could list it, and I get it. So you go walk out of here feeling all guilty, like, oh, i got to find something, but I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. This isn't what this is about. You know what this is about? It's just encouraging people to find the place. We don't twist arm. We don't drag and drive and push people to do stuff around here. But here's the question that through this few weeks that I want you to make sure that you really do process. Does God have something for me to do? I believe it's yes. Maybe not in this season because of what I just said. But every one of us has to begin to decide, are we going to simply come and be a consumer? Or are we going to begin to be a giver? Because that's why God has hardwired you for. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I come to serve. Last one is our natural abilities. We're all different. We know that our bodies are shaped differently, unfortunately. And inside all of these interesting shapes, there's a variety of natural abilities. Every one of you in this room has one. Two, three, four. Some of you have natural athletic ability. We have a former professional baseball player 
uh, in here that actually he pitched the last pitch for his college team to win the college World Series some years ago. We'll probably show that in a couple of weeks. Ended up uh, going to play for the uh, Oakland A's, tore his rotator cuff, and uh, uh, didn't come back, and now he's the head coach of uh, California Bears baseball team. Great guy. Played softball with him one year for one of our Creekside team uh, when they first started coming. You can't believe how this guy, I mean, he wasn't even a hitter, but you can't believe how he can hit a ball. I mean, it's just totally different from everybody else, the way it comes off the bat. You can't believe the way he can throw a softball even though he threw baseballs. It's amazing. See, some of you have an innate athletic ability and gift. What if you tried to figure out a way to use it for the kingdom? Some of you have musical ability. We have a guy here, I don't know if he's here today, but he didn't play on our team, but it's Greg Burdett. He's an incredible jazz guitar player, professional. Some of you sing. We have incredible singers uh, that are a part of Creekside. Ma'am, when you were born and you cried, you did it in perfect pitch. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of this natural gift, and obviously we have to develop them. Man, you can, you hear a note, oh, it's A flat, you know, A sharp, whatever. You just have an ear for that. And a lot of it, you can't, it's not, it's just natural, and then you develop it. Some of you have incredible people skills. Again, you walk into a room, or you get around people, and man, you're like a 50-watt light bulb. And you just, boom. There are people in this church that when they're around, I kind of try and cozy up to them just because I just like them. They're just fun to be around. They make me laugh. Some of you are like that. That is a gift. That's a natural ability. Some of us have mechanical ability. You can fix anything. Ralph Endress amazes me. You give him a box to fix. Could you fix that, Ralph? Well, I don't know. It's fixed. Ralph, can you fix the furnace? I don't know. It's fixed. Can you overhaul the building? I don't know. It's overhaul. I mean, just about. It's incredible. And then he comes up on a Sunday and he leads worship. I just go, why him? Why not me, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's like this, this big, full package, and he's got this mix. You know, and others of us, man, when it comes to mechanical thing, I mean, we don't even know how to use a simple wrench. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, what do I do with that? And, uh, but, but hear me, loved ones, you, there's a lot of talent and ability in this room. And we're really coming to say, what is, how does God want to use that in our context? Because everything that we have, every gift that we have, natural and spiritual and desire, should be used for the kingdom as well as the marketplace, and vice versa. And we're going to challenge you. We're going to have a ministry fair in just a couple of weeks. And there's going to be ministries with information out there. I hope you pick up a 301 booklet in the next week or two. You begin to work your way through it. We're going to have a kind of just a class for anybody that wants to come and help people talk and think through that booklet and what we've talked about on Sunday to help people find their way even beyond the ministry fair. Because this is so important, not just for our church, it's important for everyone in this room. 
And, um, and if you want to kind of go a little deeper and just kind of have a dialogue and a discussion, uh, that's going to be the last Saturday of October. But here's the, here's, here's the next step today. Grab a booklet, begin to talk about, God, what do you got for me? Begin to look at yourself. Check out your design and see what that means for you. Would you stand? Father, we come today, we're so thankful. There's so many of us in this room. We can laugh about this, we can raise our hand to identify ourselves. But in the recesses of our thinking, there's this thought, yeah, but, I, 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 I don't have it. I'm not like Ralph and I'm not like Sue. I'm not like Jackie. I'm not like John. And we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves and we forget that, well, God didn't make us to be like Ralph or Jackie or Sue or John. He made every one of us say your name to yourself right now, Terry. Say your name right there. Say your name, Terry. That name is uniquely you. And God has uniquely made you. And don't diminish what the creator has created and designed in your life. He has good works for you. He has plans for you. Here's the key. Let's take this design and the scriptures and the desires and this GPS and Lord, help us to find what that is. I thank you, Lord, for this church and the people that really have committed to say, Lord, we're just gonna serve because it's not about me. It's not even about this place. It's about you and the people that we can reach. So I ask, Lord, that you would touch us and challenge us and encourage us. And for those people that are standing here right now that look around and they go, I don't have, I don't have, let them, Lord, you show them who they are and what they have because of your creative genius. I pray this over them in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Lord bless you. You guys have a great week, okay? Take care of yourselves.